Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today, I'm bringing to the show Dr. Elsie Coe, who has a really great background, has been a CMIO, is now a CEO of her own project, and I think you're going to find her insights on leadership to be phenomenal. Elsie, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Glad you're with us. Challenging times here. So I'm interested to hear your approach to leadership and what you think about physician leadership. But first, if you would, just tell us about yourself and how you got to what you're doing today. Oh, sure. So my name is Dr. Elsie Coe. I am an interventional radiologist by training. I've been in practice for about 17 years now. And I have a whole story to tell about leadership because I was that poor leader starting out from outside of uh, fellowship and I really grew myself and I'm just here to tell other physicians that they can do it if I can do it I was I know I was a bad leader and where I've come to now I'm chief medical officer of a new startup company in Manhattan and also the CEO and founder of my own online coaching program for physician and leadership so we talked a little bit earlier and your background is interesting. Leadership was not something it sounds like that was particularly encouraged in your household. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, so I grew up in a small town of West Virginia in a very traditional Korean family household and where you're not supposed to talk back to your parents. And if I said something, it would be like, shut up. So that, that kind of household, I mean, I'm not blaming my parents because they, they're I love them to death. It's just what they knew. And so as a result, I I grew up to be very closed. I I didn't communicate. I was very shy, insecure. And it did affected my sisters very differently. They're completely different than I am, and they're a lot more outgoing growing up. But for me, it affected me in in a bad way for leadership. I find that's... To be so interesting because now your personality and your roles, you're clearly, you're out there, you're up front. This is not something that... If it's not taught to you during childhood, and for many of us it's not, then how do you acquire these skills? <laughs> By force. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so you know what's so funny, Mark, is that when I came back from medical school uh, for a break, I got my butt kicked in medical school because all of a sudden I'm being forced to speak up like I never was before. And if I didn't, then somebody would come after me. So when I started speaking out and being a lot more bold in the way I was talking and I went home for break, my parents were like, who is she? (laughs) My mom's like, you used to be such a nice girl. I, I think that speaks a little bit to our medical education system and how how warped it is, but that doesn't adjust to the individual. It's you gotta fit into the mold. I totally, totally. We friend, we in, you know, in medical school, we're kind of taught how to just give orders and fix something immediately. And you do this, you make the diagnosis, and you fix thing, and you move on to the next thing. And it's, it's just kind of like you bury your head in your books, and then the social skills aren't really learned there, and you're so young and impressionable still at that age, 
and then making decisions based on what's in front of you instead of like stepping back. So that's what happened to me. I, I guess my whole leadership style grew from medical school and being kind of more of an autocratic leader instead of a collaborative leader. And I think it's important for people to hear that there's different styles of leadership and we all don't grow up with the same backgrounds. We all don't start from the same place, but we all get thrown in at some point in time to leadership as doctors. You're going to be leading your team. You're going to be senior resident on your ward or you're going to be in the OR in charge of a case, whatever it is, you're going to have to be some kind of leader. But those kinds of leadership skills don't always translate so well to the administrative world, do they? That's right. I've been speaking to a number of physician leaders on LinkedIn these days just to gather some information and understand how people have gotten to where they are. And I would say the majority of the people I've spoken to have said, Similar things that we're discussing right now, that the leadership style that's required for this day and age in healthcare was not learned in medical school or, or in residency at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do want to note, as I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you were the CMIO at this vascular care uh, practice, right, and involved with technology. You may be the only interventional radiologist CMIO in the history. If, and I'm challenging my listeners. If there's another interventional radiologist CMIO out there, I want to know about it. How did you get into technology, and how did your interest in that develop? Uh, I, I don't know, Mark. I would probably challenge what you just said, but, but it's because the company that I was with, we have 70 centers uh, in the United States, and they're all vascular centers, and majority of the doctors are doing interventional work. So that's our business. It could have been a vascular surgeon. It could have been an interventional nephrologist. But that's why I became CMIO, because there was such a need for us being so spread apart from the West Coast to the East Coast, down to Florida, uh, in St. Louis, we're all over the map, and so we have to have a system that's going to help us work together in some way. So that's how it started for you. You saw a need and you jumped into it, which I think resonates really well with the community that we're speaking to today. That's how a lot of us got into this, is just seeing that need. But then we find ourselves wow, I'm really interested in this, I want to help, but I may not have the tools, the, the, the skills that you need to have to do this. How did you develop your both technology skills and then start to get attention with what you were doing so that people believed in you? Well, there's a lot of support. I think it's, I'm, I came from a different background than you. I mean, you actually studied this and you actually got an extra... I think a degree on, on mm-hmm. informatics, but for me, I mean, I was looking into that and that's something definitely could have helped me, but I learned on the job and I, I knew what I wanted quality wise and the workflow. I understood the process and that's what I brought to the IT team. So we have a whole team of IT people and we have our parent company, which is Fresenius and they have a very large um, IT department. And so I just utilized the resources and brought my clinical side to the story. So I probably not as technical as you are, Mark, but I had somebody working side by side with me and I told her exactly how I wanted to look. And the technology piece of what we do, the more technical I learn, the less I need it, uh, to be honest. This position is all about relationships. And I think all the CMIOs know that it's the soft skills that matter. It 
the technology part, there's a lot of people who are far smarter than I am with the technology out there and they work in IT and I just have to help understand what it is they're trying to say uh, and then and then translate that. So tell us maybe a little bit about your vision for physician leadership. What You started a company to help coach physicians. What are you trying to achieve? So let me just back up, Mark. I just want to tell you that about nine to ten years ago, I had an event happen to me that totally changed the way I thought about myself. I was told that I was a bad leader in a subtle, well, not so subtle way, but in a roundabout way. I was on a party bus and we're going to Manhattan on a you know Christmas for a Christmas party, and we live in New Jersey, and people are having cocktails and we're listening to music and people are relaxed and my one of my employees got up and we're giving speeches and she said that I had made she said Dr. Ko do you know that you made each and every one of these employees on this bus cry at one point in their time with you and I was like haha very funny but nobody was laughing and it was not only just, it was like a blow. It was like, it was embarrassing. It was like, I was in disbelief. I was in shock. I knew I made a couple people cry, but I apologized afterwards and thought they're just too sensitive and they need to just toughen up a little bit because it's just about patient care. It's not about being personal about it. But then I realized, you know what? I was doing this to everybody and I was like, crap. Oh my God, I got to do something about this. There's something wrong with me. And I, and I said, I was the nice girl from West Virginia who could do no wrong to my parents. And who am I, the insecure ch- kid here who's nice to everyone, make everyone cry? Like, what the heck is going on here? And then that started my journey of really getting into personal development and understanding myself, my limitations, my weaknesses. And I think by being introspective, I think uh, all of us physicians can be better at leading by understanding who we are and what we're doing, how people are perceiving us and what we can do about it. So not only have I gotten coached, I've gotten, I read ton of books. I went to many conferences, but I got, I hired two uh, mentors, Bob Proctor and, and Mary Morsey to be my mentors, especially in the past couple years. And, you know, met them in person, went to conferences, meet the, uh, get on their top uh, level coaching programs in order to coach people myself. And that was, that's what really opened my eyes because I don't know if you know Bob Proctor at all. Do you know him, Mark? I don't. So he's this 85-year-old uh, gentleman who's been studying personal development for 58 years. And he he was mentored by Earl Nightingale, who was mentored by Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich. And, and Napoleon Hill was mentored by Andrew Carnegie. So it goes back mm-hmm. generations of the most successful people. And Napoleon Hill interviewed 500 of the most successful people in the United States through Andrew, you know, through Andrew Carnegie. That's what Napoleon Hill did. And so they, they came up with the concepts of what makes people successful. How are they thinking? What are they doing? And that's kind of what I'm teaching in Leads of Physician on this online course with the concepts but put into a physician language and culture. And that really transformed me because I, if the old me, if I went back to see the old me, I would not recognize, or I would say to you, I would never be where I am today 
if it weren't for personal development. So the fact that I can be this poor leader and transform myself into someone who's a chief medical officer, and uh, that's my new job, but create my own company and lead physicians in the past uh, year. I've been coaching people and I would I would say never, never would I ever be like that or talking on this podcast with you like this mm-hmm. or standing on stage and speaking with such authenticity and confidence that I'd never had before. I would never even fathom that for myself. I would look at leaders like, I can't, how do they become a leader? I wonder how they do that. I, I could never do that. That's how, what I used to think. Your story is so powerful, and I'm sure you're not the only physician out there that has had such an experience or something similar where they didn't mean, they weren't intentionally trying to make people cry or make them not want to come to work or uh, just not enjoy the interaction. That's not their intent. Uh, Physicians want to get things done, and so they're driven, and they're looking to move the ball, and sometimes people get run over or left behind, and it takes that pause of looking back and then having the courage to say, yeah, I blew it on that one. I should not have done it that way. Or having a coach tell you is also very effective. But I find a lot of physicians don't have coaches and a lot of physicians aren't moving into leadership, I think, maybe because of that. What are your thoughts about physicians moving into leadership? How can they help themselves get to where they want to go? Yeah, so if you want to be a great leader and not just an average leader, because that I think there's statistics says, and I think I was listening to you speaking to Sandy Scott, 70% of leaders in all realms of any business are considered poor leaders or average or poor. So if you want to be a really great leader, you need to stop saying, I know. I know are the two words that really kill your success in moving forward. You need to say, I don't know, and 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 take the ego and the doctor's cap off because we're so used to being the experts in our field and say, you know what, I'm ready to learn. I don't know, and I want to learn. And it's a lifelong learning. So it's not like reading one book and you're done. It's like reading the same book a hundred times because you want to gain the concepts of of personal development. It's a completely different way of thinking. And all you need is an open mind. An open mind and being able to let go of your ego and just say, you know what, I'm ready to learn and I'm here and I'm I'm going to be flexible about this. I'm, I'm ready to take on something new. And when you do that, you start learning stuff about yourself you never thought before you start becoming aware of your limiting beliefs and you start learning to change those beliefs to have a self-image that's so much more powerful than you used to have and having that top-down approach of leadership and being inclusive, but you're still going to have an ego. Ego is not a bad thing, but I'm saying ego can be a bad thing if it's used in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I certainly have seen examples out there of physician leaders who probably got advanced beyond what they should, maybe because they had technical skills and uh, probably didn't have the soft skills that they should have. But I also see physicians who I think would be phenomenal leaders, but they're not advancing. They're not getting that chance. And when you look out there, physician CEOs in healthcare are rare. Some estimates I've seen in the literature about 5%. And yet there's this U.S. News and World Report rankings showing that physician-led systems outperform on quality measures those that 
are not physician-led, why do you think physicians aren't leading more of our healthcare organizations today? I really think it's those interpersonal skills that you're talking about because we don't know how to engage. We don't learn to work in teams. We don't know how to influence, negotiate. We don't get people to like us because they're just afraid of us. I, I can't believe I was told that most of the new employees who started with me were afraid of me. I'm like, how could they be afraid of me? You know, oh, they're really afraid of you. They don't want to talk to you. They asked me to come to you to ask. I'm like, what? So if you have to learn to learn the skills of listening more than speaking, being able to understand what people are saying, how do you get your employees to follow you so you don't have high turnover? How do you work with other leaders in such a way that you're not just putting blame on them? Right now, I see all over the internet, Facebook, social media, on the news of people blaming each other. And yes, there's some truth to that, but that's not how you negotiate it, and that's not how you win. That's not how you influence and get things to change. By blaming and, and pointing fingers, even though if the person might be wrong, you have to listen to their side of the story. And that's not we're, what we're ready to do. We're not ready to say, okay, let's sit down, let's negotiate, let me hear your side of the story first, and then let's talk about how we can work together. That takes time. I don't have time for that. I think time pressures influence how a provider interacts with others. And sometimes they're uh, quicker to move forward than to build the coalition. And that may very well derail them to some degree. But you know what? Each thing builds on each other. Each thing's intertwined. Time is something that we, we can gain more of if we get into leadership. I really feel that we need more physicians on leadership teams so that we can help each other with our work environment. I mean, I know that you, I, I heard about you, and you basically helped change the way your IT functions so that physicians are not staying in the hospital past 8 o'clock doing their work. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, that's why, that's exactly why we need to take the time. We need to invest. And some of these soft skills are done at a split of a second. The fact that you're making eye contact with a patient or a person and does take seconds and mm-hmm. we're not doing it. We're not taking that extra step because we don't realize what we're doing. We don't realize what we're doing wrong. We don't even know what we don't know. What about networking as a skill? Because I have a feeling a lot of people move up because they have that uh, social skill of schmoozing. They know how to find the right people who can help advance their career, and they're social with them. What do you think? Yeah, I was not that social person at all. Right. (laughs) I was, I mean, I think I consider myself introverted, even though people are like, what? (laughs) But you just learn how to have fun with it. You have to change your perception about approaching other people and having a relationship with other people and not have it seem like it's work. Because when you're you pressed for time and you're doing so much administrative stuff, the last thing you want to do is talk, talk to somebody in the hallway and, and take another five minutes of your day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but building a relationship is key to uh, success as a leader and influence like engagement, all those things that are what we call, you know, interpersonal or soft skills. So some docs are looking to get out of clinical work. They hate being on this hamster wheel of having to see more and more patients faster, faster, click the box. So they're looking to jump to administration. What are your thoughts on how those people do in leadership roles? 
Well, they have to be in it for the right reasons. You got to really know yourself and realize what it is that you want to do. Because if you're just doing it because you want to get out of clinical medicine, you're not going to thrive in that environment. You might be bored to death. In fact, you need to know, you need to uh, sit down. A lot of us don't do this, but we have a, a creative mental faculty called the imagination. And we can actually, if we took the time, because we haven't had the time really, we've just been on the structured linear path in medicine, to take the time to really think about what it is that I love to do and if that is leadership, and if that is, if you find yourself loving to help manage people, to help the uh, organization grow, to have a higher vision about healthcare, then yes, exactly, that's where you need to go. But don't just do it because you're bored of, and you're sick and tired and burned out. Or maybe your passion is that you want to make sure that healthcare goes in the right direction, and you're just passionate about that concept, or seeing that our work environment is better, and you want to step up and help out with that. Because you want to change our work environment so doctors don't leave the practice of medicine and we don't burn out like we are. So there's, I mean, you just got to know the root cause of why and and of who you are and where you want to go. I like the way you said that, that having that passion for what you're doing will really determine how much effort you're going to put in when the going gets tough, whether you're resilient to keep going and to make the change. And I think CMIOs in particular, it's challenging. It's not this instant gratification that surgeons get when they take the cataract out and the patient can see again and everything's wonderful. It's a much slower process and you're going to need to do that gut check of, am I in this for the right reasons? Am I still enjoying this? And when the answer is yes, I love what I do, it really helps. Yeah. Do you love what you do? I love what I do because I think I make a difference. I try to make a difference. I, I hope I'm making a difference. Um, making lives better for the other clinicians who can then make the lives of the patients better. That's what I See? need to do. That's why you're, oh, that's why you are a true leader. You're a true <laughs> leader because how many people actually say that? They're like, I don't know. I was just, I'm bored because I'm tired of clinical medicine. That's just not yeah, the yeah. right kind of leader. You have passion and that drives you forward to succeed and do better than you would otherwise. So I found that leadership skills learned in the classroom rarely make their way into your daily practice of leadership in the heat of a discussion. CMIOs can find themselves in some heated discussions. You get some provider who comes up to you and is like, I hate what you did. You're responsible for so many bad things in my life, and I'm going to take it out on you right now. So... How do you channel that lesson you learned six months ago in class to be available to you at the exact time? That takes practice, I think. But I think just the power of awareness of who you are and what you represent and just just being able to live life a lot more consciously and sub, instead of subconsciously is the way to... And understanding that you have control over the responses of any situation or circumstances in front of you. So that's how I live now. So when, for instance, I was giving a PowerPoint presentation once and to a group of physicians in New York City and a nice dinner uh, and it had to do for our organization. It was just a medical staff meeting. I was giving a talk on a new breakthrough technology uh, and one of the physician leaders got up and took the mic from me when I was in the middle of my PowerPoint presentation and said, you are done. We're done. And, and we didn't have this great relationship, me and this uh, other leader. Mm. So my old self would have been like, 
really upset, not being able to concentrate on the rest of the meeting. I probably would have given in. I just probably would have been in my mind. My heart would probably be tachycardic, angry, maybe even like tearing a little bit or something. I don't know. That's, that might have been my old self. But instead, I sat down. Okay, so I did sit down and I thought, hmm, what just happened here? You know, what was going on? And I, I started to think about it more objectively. That's really important because I'm separating myself from the situation. Somebody who did something to me that's, you know, people are shocked, okay, that that happened. People mm-hmm. noticed. It's not like a subtle thing. And so I decided, you know what, I'm not done. So I got back up and I said, you know what, Greg, I'm not done. Actually, I'm not done. I have a few more things to say. And I just pushed him aside and started talking again. <laughs> I think he was shocked. <laughs> so I'm just saying, learning about yourself and then how you relate to your environment is so important to respond instead of react to what's in front of you. So if somebody yells at me like that, if my husband yells at me, (laughs) then then I know how to just put a wall down and say, you know what, why, there's no reason why you should be yelling at me like that, like this, you know, instead of saying, oh my God, are you freaking jerk or something? Start yelling back at him because that goes nowhere. That goes nowhere. You've got to diffuse a situation and then you need to step back and say, we could talk about this later because you appear to be very upset right now. Let's talk about this when you're feeling a little bit better. <laughs> it's just like sending out emails when you're angry. It's, it's learning to not send them out right away. It's wait a day, send it to yourself. All these little tricks that you learn from leadership training is so key. And this is, I'll admit, this is my weak point is that when we've done something and we've we're launching an initiative and someone starts to attack it or someone somewhere is not going to be happy with something that you do and i get so defensive so fast i'm like no it's great you got to listen to me it's my way it's like whoa got to slow that down so that is something i work on i work on it to be honest every day someone in the role of a cmio someone's coming up to you every day and someone else has a better idea they have a better idea than what you have and it's a matter of building relationships again, responding instead of reacting, and being totally transparent of why you're doing something a certain way, and letting them know that it was a collective decision. It wasn't just you. I do want to touch a little bit on the COVID-19 and the leadership development that's happening under fire here. I'm hearing that some providers who are interested in leadership were starting on that point two FTE status of heading into leadership, but then got yanked back into clinical roles because they were needed there. And yet I'm also seeing people who I never thought would be leaders just stepping up to do things and lead initiatives around COVID that I never would have thought they had the tool set to do it. How do you think this is going to shake out? Are doctors going to have more or less of a role in leadership on the other side of this pandemic or Will it not change at all? I mean, I I would love to hear your opinion about what you just asked, but I totally think that we need more physician leadership because you see the disconnect. You see like the, the inefficiencies in the workflow. We see things that are not happening when they should have in the first place. And I, I bet you that there are a lot of administrators thinking, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. And so there's some recognition of the need for more clinically based decisions. 
And I think physicians are frustrated themselves and even more so now. And we're just seeing tip of the iceberg. And I think as physicians, we need to, instead of passively step into leadership, and it just so happened that I got a leadership position that most of us have found ourselves in, like you and me. And I don't know if you, did you direct yourself into leadership or it just kind of happened? I had to elbow my way in and create a role. I was doing all this project work and volunteer this and volunteer the committee leadership. And when you find that it starts to take 10, 15, 20 hours a week, at some point you say, hey, okay, you guys got to pay me. You're taking advantage of me. I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. Um, that's a, that's another topic, <laughs> learning to negotiate for yourself to get paid for these administrative work. Because yeah, people yeah. do not value that. They say, oh, well, you really should be paid at a lower rate than what you would as a clinician because it's intangible. They don't see mm-hmm. the value of it. But I, to me, I think it's even more valuable than just the clinical work. I do think uh, people are recognizing it more. And I would love to see that physicians actually actively elbow their way in like the way you have. Mark, because I, I, I mean, for me, it was more of a passive way in and and recognizing that you have I mean, each and every physician is a leader. You are a leader already. It's just that you need to know some of these so-called soft skills, which are really just tremendously important, probably more than 50% of having the, the knowledge base of business and administrative stuff. You can learn that without a doubt, but you've got to have somebody helping you practice to have the language of a leader. It's just not something you learn on a three-hour course, webinar, or a weekend uh, leadership meeting. It'll be interesting to see how healthcare moves forward on the other side. This could be a defining moment for U.S. healthcare because a lot of our hospital systems are under tremendous financial pressure. And when that happens, they're going to need cash, and they're going to get that cash most likely from the federal government. I think the federal government if they're smart, will attach strings to this money that they're going to give out to bail out the hospitals. They did that when they bailed out GM. Well, this is the time to get us out of the fee-for-service model and into value-based care because otherwise this country's not going to move out of that fee-for-service model so fast. What's been going on so far, the accountable care organization, that's not working. It's not working fast enough. Healthcare prices are still going up. But if we made a massive jump into a capitative type environment, now I'm sure 50% of my colleagues now hate me, but if we moved into that kind of environment, now you have to have physician leaders because you cannot change physician behavior without doctors being there to coach and guide that practice. A non-physician will have a very tough time trying to sell value-based care. It has to come from a doc. Right. But not just to quiet them down, because I feel like a lot of CMOs are hired and put on senior leadership boards as a puppet to represent other physicians, to make it seem like they're inclusive of physicians' voice, but mainly just to to get somebody to, to quiet down the physicians who are dissenting. So I think... I think you're right. Definitely value-based medicine. But I think beyond just appeasing physicians, it's going to be a strategic partner to understand how the type of workflows and the efficiencies and the type of care that needs to be delivered in a way that can't be um, thought of from a business person.
Elsie, I've loved this conversation. You've been fantastic. I want to let you go here so I don't monopolize your entire day, which I have been known to do. I'm um, really impressed with you, Mark. So <laughs> I hope to have you on my Facebook Live. <laughs> love to do it anytime. You just let me know. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about your leadership coaching and that program that you're developing, how can they get in contact with you? I think best way is email, which is info, I-N-F-O, at drelsieco.com, D-R-E-L-S-I-E-K-O-H.com. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. This was fun. Thanks for doing it. Let's wrap it up there. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.